Are you ready to take the lead in the dance of life? Fall in love with who you are right now and find uninhibited joy every day? Then it's time for you to flaunt your smart, sexy, and spiritual self. Join radio host Laura Cheadle and learn how the five steps of flaunt can help you quit seeking approval, proving your worth, and release you from the judgment of others. Express all that you are, discover your naked self-worth, and finally, enjoy the life you've worked so hard to create. to flaunt, build your dreams, and live your sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and October is all about boobies and burlesque. Now, before you go, oh my gosh, what kind of a show am I listening to? I want to preface this by saying October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and all of my work centers around breaking down taboo. It ta it's about leaning into the things that we don't like to talk about so we can get more comfortable talking about them, so we can grow, so we can learn, so we can break down some barriers, whether that's about abuse or mental health or breast cancer or sex or fear or anything. Let's just be real and talk about it. That's part of the reason that I am thrilled to bring you today's guest. She is today's one of top today's top burlesque performers. She is known as the Italian Stallionette, and she dazzles on stage as well as around the whole world. Now, I'll tell you a little bit more about her later, but for now, let me introduce you to Angie Pontani. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Let's just dive right into burlesque because I think some listeners might be thinking, okay, breast cancer awareness, boobies, I get it. Burlesque, um, I guess you show your boobies. <laughs> Can you tell listeners a little bit more about burlesque and what it is you do in the burlesque world today? For sure. Burlesque is the art of the striptease, and it has evolved from a long style and long, long running uh, genre of entertainment that has been in America since the late 1800s. Um, burlesque started as a form of satirical theater, it would often poke fun at what was happening in politics or what's happening in society or religion or at home. It was just this kind of, I always say it's like a big Saturday Night Live, you you know, it's this big comic skit. And eventually it involved to have these key elements, which were, you know, like live music and jazz, comedy and dancing girls. And the most popular element of the dancing girls was the striptease artist. And, you know, the appeal of that was that you're looking at something forbidden. You're looking at something taboo. You're looking at something um, exaggerated in a sense of a feminine ideal of beauty and body perception. Um, and it's also a bit of a joke because even though there's this big striptease happening and everybody knows what's going to happen, there's never a full reveal. It's always partial. It's kind of a wink and a smile. <laughs> yes. And I think that's why I am so passionate about burlesque. And I think why so many other women are passionate about burlesque as well. Oftentimes people will say, well, it's men that come to burlesque. Well, sure they do, but I think it's for women, by women, and about women because it enables us to take back our power. 
Absolutely. And I would say uh, unequivocally that the audiences are largely female and my fan base is largely female. And the letters that I get are mostly from women. And, you know, over the years, burlesque um, has really turned into a tool for women to use in a sense of empowerment because it embraces um, all body, all bodies are welcome on stage. So it kind of takes this body ideal that most of us have grown up with and just flushes it down the toilet. And it gives women an opportunity to see uh, bodies of all shapes and sizes being sexy on stage. Um, and that's a, it's become a wonderful platform for that, as well as a platform for this kind of a reclamation of your sensuality and being sexual and, ex and accepting that and owning it and using it you know, to, to make you feel good and to kind of share this message that we're all sexy. You know, you don't, you don't have to be Kate Moss or Cindy Crawford. We are all sexy, sexy, sexy. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Amen to that. And I think my listeners know this, but in case they don't, I didn't start burlesque until 44. I was a mom. I had two kids. I was an attorney. I didn't feel sexy. And I'm not traditionally sexy, but getting up on stage and doing that, you reclaim your sexy. You fall in love with yourself. So absolutely. Well, and ageism as well. It's like uh, the biggest stars in burlesque are all in their 40s, you know, it's like, and, and that's to this day, you know, we've been working for the past 20 years. We're, we're all in our 40s now and it has not diminished any one star at all. And so that's an amazing thing as well. Exactly. And for people who don't know, the burlesque legends, many of them are still alive. And every year in Las Vegas, there's a legends show. And I mean, we're talking women in their 70s and 80s are up there performing. And they're gorgeous. And they're beautiful. And that is, I think, also a testament to the power of burlesque. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it just redefines sexy and it takes sexy into another realm that is just a, a bigger than just, you know, bedroom eyes and, you know, smoky voices. It's just such an ownership of that sexuality, which is empowering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And burlesque, I'm glad that you talked about that because it isn't just the voice and the posing. What makes burlesque real good burlesque powerful, I think, is the choreography, the dancing, the costuming. It's a mini theater performance in every single routine. And whether you're a beginner and you're just using clothes from Goodwill that you've modified, or you're a professional and you've got your seamstress who's working on you know, a costume for you, it doesn't really matter but it's the fun and it's the extravaganza and it's the more is more in burlesque. Well, and absolutely. Yeah, well, and you know, most performers, it is unlike any other form of theater where it's like, you're not going to an audition and they're saying, this is your part. You know, you create your part, you create your persona, you create your, personal your personality and your choreography. And it, even if someone's making a costume for you, you're in inputting into that as well. So when a performer's on stage and really nails it, you're getting a true piece of them, you know, a piece of their spirit and their energy. And yeah, the thing that I always say is like, you can have a million dollar costume and you can be on a million dollar stage, but if you don't come out there with that pure energy, it's going to fall flat. Absolutely. And even more than energy, sometimes it's the impetus for removing the costume piece. It's a reveal. It's not stripping and woohoo, let's all take 
pieces of our clothing off. There's a reason. There's a tease. There's something hidden underneath, and it makes it exciting. It's all about the journey, and it's like, yeah, you can go up there and you can do this formula of I'm going to take off my glove, and now I'm going to unzip my dress, and I'm going to take off my corset. And all that can be fine and well, but what I love is when performers use really creative ideas um, for costume pieces to come off and come apart. Like, I have some costumes that look like they're all one piece. It looks like it's all one gown, and you're looking at it, and you think it's this one unit, but it's not. You know, there's a bra, there's a waist belt, there's a skirt, the bottom comes off. Everything comes off, so it's like, bam, surprise. Right. <laughs> it's creative. <laughs> right. I love that. And then speaking of choreography, because choreography is my favorite thing. I mean, life choreography, dance choreography, costume choreography, whatever. You are an incredible choreographer. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. And I'd love you to share some of the stuff that you have done with choreography because you've worked with some big names. Not only have you done stuff for you, but you have choreographed for others. And I think that really elevates the game. Yeah, well, I grew up dancing, which uh, is, can be, I believe, a, a blessing and a curse in burlesque because there is an organic spirit that you want to get across when you're on stage. Um, and if you kind of let, lay it down with too much choreography, I feel like it can become a little bit cumbersome and if not feel as uh, pure and from the heart. So what I always do when I kind of lay out these routines is just kind of say, okay, I'm going to put benchmarkers throughout it. So at this point in the music, you have this combination and this removal series, and then you're free to connect with the audience, and then you have this, and then you have that. But yeah, I've been really blessed to work with um, some amazing performers. I've pretty much worked with everybody in burlesque. <laughs> um, and I've choreographed for people, and I've danced with people, you know, like it's from Lady Gaga, Snoop Dogg, I've put pieces together for... Um, and, you know, it's just about getting those moments of choreography interdispersed with these moments of true connection with the audience so that it doesn't become simply a dance piece. And I'm, I'm a real big advocate for just leaving a little bit of looseness in there. <laughs> right, right. I really appreciate that you said that because as a, a lot of my listeners are corporate women who have shifted. And I think a lot of us, me included, with a corporate background, have this really boxed-in idea about how things should be. And I have to know this, and I have to know this, and I have to have this degree, and I have to have this skill, and I have to have this many years of experience. And I hear you on the choreography. Hit those mile markers, and then yeah. have some fun along the way. It's such a great analogy for life, not just for a burlesque routine. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, showbiz is one of those places specifically where you can go to the best school and you can take the best classes and you can have the most amazing coaches and never, never crack it. And then you could just be, you know, Jenny from the block who just gets out there and, and makes it straight away. So, you know, yeah. it helps to have all these things, but you can't marry any of them. You know, you just kind of have to rely on yourselves and your instincts in this business. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I also really appreciate how you said sometimes choreography can get in the way because I was laughing inside. We just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Oh, and my congratulations. Thank you. But my husband was just teasing me because I grew up dancing ballet. So for our wedding reception, I had all of the dances choreographed. And he's like, can't we just dance? And I'm like, nope, we got to choreograph it. <laughs> 
it do, I do that a lot too. Like, you know, I perform with my husband and we have like these showgirls in this show that we do in Vegas and everything. And I'm, he's always like, can we just walk out and everybody's going to do this? And I'm like, no, no, we can't. We have to get everybody is here. You're standing here. Everybody's here. So it's like, it, you know, I, I like spacing. I like formation. I like what's going to make a good picture, which is another thing that you have to think about in burlesque because, you know, you can do your shows and you can perform, but more people are going to see the pictures from your show than are probably ever going to see your show. So I'm always like, okay, we need to prep for the Kodak moment. That's going to be this shot right here. You're going to be here. And this is this. So I do block everything out. (laughs) Plan. (laughs) Now, not only are you an incredible performer and choreographer, you're also amazing at Italian recipes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I want to hear a little bit more about that and how how you're kind of blending that into your life and, and burlesque and your blog and all of these things that you do that make you you. Yeah, well, I come from a pretty traditional Italian-American um, East Coast family. My whole family on both sides is from Italy, and um, I've got the DNA report to prove it. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I just grew up, Italian-American culture is a really unique thing. Um, it's even different from a pure Italian culture. I have a lot of family still in Italy, and I go back and visit a lot. I can't wait to go back. It's been a while now. Um, but, you know, I just grew up with these traditions of cooking and these traditions of being in the kitchen with family and eating with family and the depth of the experience goes so much beyond the food that's on the table. It's this really uh, connective moment that you have as a child, I think, growing up and being in these situations. Like every meal is a tradition. Every dish has a story from your grandmother and their mother. And when they were in Italy, they did it like this and then they had to change it like this. And so it really just creates this beautiful thread. And, you know, like growing up, I would always be um, so like, oh, Oh, this is so lame. And, you know, I, I grew up in an Italian American enclave for most of my life. We moved when I was a teenager and there was, you know, people who were not Italian, um, or not immigrants. Like I kind of grew up in a neighborhood that was mostly an immigrant population and Italian Americans. So when I moved where it was like, you know, a mostly like white kind of like been there since the Mayflower vibe, I, they didn't have these traditions. And I was like, why do we have to do this? This is so lame. Like da, 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 da. now that I'm older, I'm like, oh my God, I was so lucky to have that. And so I I feel like for me, the importance that food and, you know, my grandparents are all gone now. So it's like when I cook, I connect with them. And so I've developed a kind of obsession for that, I think, since I had my child, because I like to share that with her. And I just started sharing recipes online, like a little thing here and there. And then I just got such a great response from it. And everybody, whether they're Italian or not, has a story and can connect that deeper meaning of sitting at the table and and not just sharing food, but like just sharing a moment of your life, you know? Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And I can see why people connect to that because I don't have a heritage in the kitchen. You know, my, my mom cooked fine. My grandma cooked fine, but nobody cared and nobody really had that big connection. So when I see things like the recipes that you share, it gets me excited and it makes me realize, oh, I still can do this. I can create it for my family. So thank you for doing that. That's amazing. Well, and you know, it's like, I always, I just feel like my family that's gone, like they live on. Like when I cook these, I like, I'm, I talk to them in the kitchen while I'm making it, you know? And I'm like, oh, I don't have this. What should I do, Aunt Norma? Like, it's like, I, yeah. the spirit lives on. And I do think that that really 
creates beautiful moments. And especially, I mean, for me, it was when I had my daughter that that really snapped in my head, like, oh, this is so much more important than just remembering this recipe. This is why we remember this recipe, to remember the people who made it and their story. Oh, absolutely. Now, you talked about the Italian-American culture. You talked about your family. But what you were doing is a little bit, you know, risque. Did you experience some pushback from them? Like, what are you doing? And how can you do this to us? Or what, what's, why? This is weird. Absolutely. I'm definitely a rebel in my community. <laughs> um, you know, God bless my parents. I always wanted to be in theater from the moment I was born. And, you know, I got a little bit of slack because my father is an amazing artist. Like he was a painter and he sketched and he did all these things. But growing up, he did not have the option to follow that career path. His parents were like, nope, you're working in the family restaurant. This is what you're doing. You're not doing art. Art is not a career. So when I came along and kind of brought this to my parents, they were definitely more supportive of me, I think, than, you know, because of what my father had experienced and because I frankly wasn't good at anything else. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was born and raised in New Jersey and I came to New York at 17. And when I got into my first burlesque show, which was at 18, I was just so naive and so like dumbstruck by the feathers and the costumes. And I actually invited my parents to the show and they were like, I was just a chorus girl. I wasn't even stripping in that show, but we kind of didn't talk about it again. They kind of just pretended it wasn't happening. And my mom would be like, Oh, you know, you should apply for a job as a, a, a mailman or, you know, uh, have you thought about, you know, going to work for the state, you know, all this stuff. And, they never got on my case, God bless them, too hard. But the more successful that I became, it really kind of turned the tide in a sense. And when they saw the things that I got to do, like traveling the world and being on television in Italy, and like uh, when they saw the response that it was triggering in other people, it really changed their scope. And now they're, they're very, very proud. They, they couldn't be prouder. Right. Oh, I'm so glad. If I was a doctor, they would probably be prouder. But no. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be having this much fun if you were a doctor. No, I totally, totally. They wouldn't get to go to so many cool things if I was a doctor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But again, that's, I think, the thing that makes me so passionate about the work that I do and leaning into the taboo and why I appreciate burlesque and people like you so much. You see it for what it is. You follow your heart. You, you know, follow your passion and you create all this good for other people and then people understand it and they can't help but follow along because they're not just like Angie is some weirdo it's no she's doing really neat stuff and it's authentically her I think that's a real key in it too you know and it does it changes people's opinions and changes people's minds and it just makes you think about so many things within that and these things that we're taught to believe that just they don't really apply you know so it kind of like sets yourself free really yes it absolutely does now you've got a little girl right yes and she's your only one Yes, she is. <laughs> okay. Now, here's, here's the path that I want to go down with you now. I'm the mom of two boys. My boys are 20 and 22 right now. I started doing burlesque when they were in middle school and high school, and I think it made them better men because they saw sparkly panties. They saw bras sitting on the yeah. counter. They see a girl's bra strap. They don't care. 
They don't think less of her. They don't think she's easy. Mom has a bra. Mom has sparkly underwear. She's, she's smart. She's kind. She's loving. She's good. And they don't judge women because of it. I'm curious, how is it for you raising a daughter? And what are you experiencing with the female end? Because I don't know that end. I only know the boy end. Um, well, I, I think uh, it, it's much in the same, right? I think you grow up and you get all these things put on you that don't really apply in terms of sexuality and femininity and the like. You know, my daughter uh, comes to shows with me. I mean, not sitting in the audience. It depends on right. the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, she sees me rehearsing. She sees all the costume pieces. She sees the promotional materials. Um, We've done matinee shows. I, I do a Christmas show, a Murray Little Christmas at the Public Theater here in New York City. And it was a matinee and they, we needed a little girl to sing a song. And so she came and she did that. So she was backstage. I think we tend to exacerbate things and make them mysterious and uncomfortable when they don't need to be. And when you take that away, she doesn't bat an eye. She doesn't think twice about it, you know? I mean, to her, it's just another day. And, you know, she doesn't go to school and, like, bump and grind and try to take her shirt off, you know, because it's it's just not a big deal. She's like, oh, this is this. This is this. It's, It's just another day at the office. Exactly. I love that. And I would think she would probably grow up much more healthy and comfortable in her femininity with her sexuality, that it's not, oh, I can't talk to mom about this. And oh, what am I going to do about that? Absolutely. And I certainly hope so. And, you know, it, it's like we were talking about earlier. I do shows where, you know, 40 year old women come at, up to me afterwards and say, oh, my God, you make me feel so good. I have big thighs and a big butt, too. And I can't believe that you just were so sexy and you made me feel sexy. I, I hope that she can bypass most of that. And I hope that even this next generation that's growing up with more access to more diversified entertainment can also benefit from that. Absolutely. So here's another question for you. Did you perform when you were pregnant? I did perform when I was pregnant. So we, uh, when I became pregnant, it was a big accident. Um, and I had this full year booked. I had a great year. I was going to tour Australia. I was going to Hawaii. Like I had a ton of great stuff on the books. Um, and then I found out I was pregnant. So I worked, um, I didn't even start showing really until I was six months old. Everybody just thought I got a boob job. But I didn't start showing until about six months. And then once I did start showing extremely, I I did cancel most of my, like I canceled all my corporate gigs and some of my bigger travel appearances simply for the fact that I didn't have costumes that could fit. I didn't want to get on a plane at that point in time. Um, But I did continue. I was doing a specific show in New York. It was called Mob Jews. And it was this whole play by Johnny Pork Pie, who's a performer and writer here in the city. And I called him, I said, Johnny, I was supposed to be this gangster, this stripping gangster. I said, Johnny, I'm going to be like eight months pregnant by the time, you know, this yeah. show hits the stage. And he was like, okay, I'm going to rewrite it that you're a pregnant gangster. <laughs> and he rewrote the show. And I did perform an act with this kind of like goddess vibe with this flowing dress. And every time I did, everybody in the audience just had a heart attack because I would hit the stage and I did not feel like I was pregnant anymore. I felt free because we call it Dr. Footlights. Like when you step on stage, 
whatever hurts you, it doesn't hurt anymore, <laughs> you know? So I was up there, I was bumping and grinding and dropping and popping and leaping and everybody was like, stop doing that. <laughs> but I had an amazing time and I've got like great footage of me big and pregnant performing. Oh. I love that. I think that's powerful too because I've seen a couple of performers who have had mastectomies. Yes. Yeah, and it takes the fear out of it. You know, the fear of, oh my gosh, what if I get breast cancer and I don't know what a mastectomy looks like? Well, these performers are out there and it's like, this is what it looks like and I can still drop and pop and bump and grind. And same thing with you. You can be pregnant and you can still go for it. And our bodies are ours. They all go on different journeys and do different things. Sexy is defined by yourself. No one can define it for you. So how dare we let it be defined for this long? It's so empowering to see different body types and women with mastectomies and women who are pregnant or disabilities, not just women, people. Right. Get um, up there and own it. And you just realize that that, that freedom is so close it's right there so you can just there's just take it take it and own it and i think that burlesque you know not everybody wants to have a career in burlesque not everybody wants to do the hustle and travel around the globe you don't have to do that to access the benefits you know you can take a class have fun be free in your house it's it's just really comes down to that acceptance and that ownership and that changes the game for everyone Absolutely. So well said. Something else that I appreciate about you, you know, when you talked about the doctor footlights, because yes, that's a real thing. You're also into fitness. And I love the idea of fitness for feeling good, not for fitness to become a size two with the thigh gap, because those are completely different things. And I'd love to hear more about your fitness and your journey around that, because you had mentioned, you know, like with your daughter, I've got thicker thighs, I've got a bigger tush. And I'm fit. <laughs> it's the same thing. No, totally. Well, I've always, you know, I've, I've always been a, a kind of muscular, athletically built person. I'm 5'2". I've always had 40-inch hips. My caps are 15 inches. You know, I grew up dancing. And I've always been into fitness. But what I love, I love being strong. Like, for me, that is my favorite thing. I can squat 225 pounds. You know, I don't know if I can right now because I haven't been to the gym in six months, but right. like, I, I love power lifting. I love getting onto the gym floor and I love lifting weights. And I discovered this, I, I was always into fitness my whole life, you know, but I discovered the weights like probably about five years ago when I started going back to the gym after my daughter and I was bored by the classes. I was not losing the weight that I had gained when I had her. And I said, you know, I'm just going to start doing weights. So I got a trainer and he was like, you're really like, you could really stack muscle fast. And I was like, all right, let's okay. try it. And I just, I love going out there and like grabbing 25 pound dumbbells and freaking curling and just the strength that I get from that period makes me happy. Being strong makes me happy. And it's not to me about, I weigh 140 pounds, you know, I don't care. I'm fit. I feel good. And I will carry you out of a burning building. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that because we live in our bodies. You know, yes. this, this is our home. They need to be strong or flexible or powerful or whatever makes us feel most alive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, too, age as well. Like I'm 43 years old. I'm an older mom. My daughter just turned five. 
And for me, I want my body, like I, my view is if I don't stop, you're not going to catch me. So I'm just going to keep going and continuing with working out at the intensity that I do because I want to be here for her and I don't want to be unable to climb the stairs when she's 20 years old. You know, like I'm, I want, this is my body and I'm going to keep it strong and keep it long. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can appreciate that because when I was, you know, way back 18 with the ballet company about, you know, <laughs> four inch waist. <laughs> I didn't feel good. I didn't have enough weight. I was weak. I was tired and I didn't feel good. And at 51 with flesh on my bones, I feel better than I have ever felt. And I wouldn't change that for my size to waist again. I just wouldn't. Mm -mm, no. Well, it's the things we learn, you know, because even when I was younger, I wanted to be thin. Okay. I wanted to be skinny. I was like, oh my God, my legs, I could be a football player. Like I felt so uncomfortable about it, but I just, that's not my body. I couldn't find a thigh gap. <laughs> there is no thigh gap happening. I, I don't think that's a, a biological thing. That should not happen. <laughs> but I think when you look at it, like when you turn the script to, it's just, um, be strong, take care of your heart, you know, like just take care of your body. And that doesn't mean it has to be a size two. It's just taking care of it. And I do like, even in terms of eating, like a long time, somebody said to me, like, say to yourself, like, cause I do eat well. I mean, I treat myself, I eat pasta, I'll eat a candy bar whatever, but I, I do eat well. And that again is in turn of me just wanting to take care of my body. Feel good. Somebody said to me once, don't say, I can't eat that. I'm on a diet. I can't drink that. I can't eat that. Just say, I don't eat that, you know? And it kind of changes the whole frame of it. Like, you know what? I don't really eat that. And it, it makes you not want it. When you say you can't have something or something's unattainable, then you're psychologically, my brain is like, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. But when I just say, I don't want that, it changes everything. And it frees right. you. <laughs> it does for you. It does for yeah. you. I was teaching a class, oh, many, many, many years ago, and a little four-year-old girl came up to me when I, I was serving snacks to the kids, and she said, oh, Miss Laura, I don't eat dead animals. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, it, it's funny because it dovetails so nicely with what you said. It does shift it because then I was thinking, I don't want to eat a dead animal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and, and it kind of... I'm not vegetarian. I don't eat a lot of meat, but in part it was like, it made me more aware of what am I eating and why am I eating it? I don't eat processed junk. Absolutely. So yeah. I love, love that mindset shift. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We are going to take a two minute break for some sponsorship here, and then we will come back and we will move into the five steps of flaunt. And we are going to pick your brain and get, get you a little bit naked. So the listeners can know more about Angie. Perfect. We will be right back. To all the women who have cried in the shower, smiled when they wanted to scream, and couldn't wait to get home and unhook their bra, Flaunt is the definitive guidebook on how to get back in touch with who you are underneath your labels, roles, and scripts. Fall in love with yourself right now. Breathe life into the dreams you left behind and live each day with uninhibited joy. Pick up a copy of Laura Cheadle's number one best-selling book, Flaunt. 
drop your cover and reveal your smart, sexy, and spiritual self wherever books are sold. It's available in print, digital, and audio formats and comes with two downloadable meditations. You're a smart woman who has achieved a lot, but are you happy? Do you sparkle with joy and enthusiasm, or are you living life on autoplay? You're not alone. Many successful women reach a point where they realize that they're not enjoying themselves, their jobs, or their families in the way that they thought they would. No matter what's blocking your sparkle, you can live full out and enjoy life again right now. Not after you lose 15 pounds, find love, or the kids leave home. Go to www.nakedselfworth.com and download the top 20 things that block your sparkle and what to do about them so you can stop seeking to please, proving your worth, and settling for less, and start living life on your own terms with enthusiasm, joy, and plenty of sparkle. are back. Flaunt is an acronym. It stands for find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. And today's guest is Angie Pontani, and she is an amazing burlesque performer. She is known as the Italian stallionette, and she dazzles on stages all over the world. She has worked with some of the top names in the music industry, like Lady Gaga, um, Snoop Dogg, Dita Von T. She's worked with pretty much every burlesque performer that's out there. Not only is she an amazing dancer and performer and choreographer, but she's also really, really good at Italian cooking. And her blog has got a lot of great recipes on it. I encourage you to check it out. You just go to Angie, A-N-G-I-E, Pontani, P-O-N-T-A-N-I.com. She's got her podcast up there. She's got recipes up there. There's a list of her appearances up there. She's got um, her press, gallery, whole bunch of stuff. So you will definitely want to check out her website. Plus, She's got some pretty snazzy pictures on there. <laughs> so with that said, let's move into the five steps of flaunt. Ooh. Oh, yes. <laughs> My book is all about using the idea of burlesque in our everyday life to uncover what we're passionate about, to fall in love with ourselves as we are, not as we think we should be. And the first Thing that I think we all need to do is find our fetish. And I love the word fetish because it's just naughty and everybody goes, oh, fetish. <laughs> but it's more than that. The fetish, our fetish is that thing that we do because it's fun. Yeah. Kids, yeah, kids play because it's fun. They don't play to get better at something. And most of us spend our lives doing things to get better at something. So, Angie, let's talk about your fetishes, because you said you were a theater kid, you love the feathers. What are your fetishes? What do you do that is just fun? I 
for me, I think my biggest fetish is creation. I just like to make things, you know, and it's like, whether that's a performance on stage or a dish in the kitchen or decorating for Halloween, you know, or doing an art project with my daughter, I love creating something that's beautiful. I love creating something that makes people feel good. I love creating something that tastes good. I love making things that look good. I, I love to create things like from my garden. It's something I've discovered about myself now. I'm like, oh my God, all I do is make things. <laughs> That's beautiful. And you know, you hear women are the ultimate creators. You really are. Yeah, man. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> and I learned it from a line of ultimate creators. Beautiful. And when you're feeling low, because I know like with COVID, there's a lot of stress in the world right now. There's, you know, racial tensions, the elections coming up. Every time you turn on the news, it's like, ah, can you consciously use the art of creation to make you feel better? I do. I constantly do. Every day I do. And it is very hard. And I, I, this time is hard for everyone. Um, but I do. And sometimes I have to force myself to do it. You know, sometimes I'll be in the house and I'm a little miss miserable and I'm like, go outside and plant the freaking Brussels sprouts. Like just go, go and get in the dirt, go do something, work out, you know, sit down and uh, start writing a new recipe, do something. And that ultimately, you know, takes me out of that moment and returns me to it better than I was when I left it. Ah, yeah, so powerful. The next step of flaunt is L, and that's for laugh out loud. Burlesque is a parody. There's a lot of humor in burlesque. I want to learn more about humor and Angie. Are you a funny person? Would people say you're a funny person? Yes, I'm definitely a funny person. (laughs) I'm cracking jokes all the time. I laugh at everything. I try not to take anything too seriously. Um, And I think, you know, that's a critical element of burlesque. It's, you know, you you really can't take yourself too seriously. You spend thousands of dollars on these beautiful costumes and then you throw it on the floor. I mean, the whole thing's a joke, right? So I don't take myself seriously. I try to find humor in everything. My husband and I laugh all day. My daughter cracks jokes now. I I think that's very crucial to to happiness, especially in these days that we're in. (laughs) Oh my goodness, yes. So where did you get your sense of humor from? You know, I'll take it back to Italian-American families because we have, uh, Italian-American families are loud. They bust each other's chops constantly. And, you know, it it seems almost... uh, harsh when other people come in like when my husband first came into my family he was like whoa I was like no this is just we're just connecting we're just having a good time you know so everything is sarcastic slightly obnoxious you make fun of each other this and that but it's all in love (laughs) yes Yes. no there's kind of there's no fourth wall just like in burlesque (laughs) yes oh I love that that's a lot of, of where my sense of humor developed from Makes sense. No, just like with finding your fetish, when life is hard and you're struggling, do you use humor to get you out of a funk or have you ever been so low that you just can't even find the humor in a situation? You know, I, I can always find the humor and thankfully I've not been so low that I couldn't, but I think even if I never work again and have to move back in my, with my parents, I'm going to still laugh at that. <laughs> like, it's like, well, and I, this is, you know, 
an example that I think is good is, you know, I've been working in show business for 20, over 20 years. And my husband has been working in show business for pretty much the same. And we both work very, very, very hard. It's our entire lives. And right before the pandemic hit, we had just gotten a big billboard in Las Vegas of us together for our show after dark at the Nomad. And my friends were sending me pictures of the billboard. And it was like up a week before this happened. So I did, I said to him, babe, we already picked a crappy career. <laughs> we almost made it. And here comes the pandemic. So, you know, you rise up against the standard odds of show business, which are already extreme. And then, you know, pandemic. So we laughed right. at that. <laughs> you have to laugh at a certain point when it's so far out of your control. You do. You do. And that goes right into the next step, AU, which is the golden center of flaunt. And that stands for accept unconditionally. There is nothing that you can do about the pandemic. Not a thing. A lot of those show business odds, there's certain things you can control. There's a lot you can't control either. Accepting unconditionally truly is the only thing that we can do, even though we don't really want to. <laughs> what is one of the hardest things that you've had to accept unconditionally? Well, I think, you know, especially as a woman, it helped me to learn this when I got pregnant. My whole show business career has been take every opportunity. Just take it, nail it, put it in your resume, put that picture up on Instagram, just get it, you know? And I always did that, you know? I was never held back at home. I could always go and do whatever I wanted. And even when I was pregnant, you know, I worked up almost to the end and I had gigs booked the month after I had my baby. And I was like, I'm gonna get back out there. No one's gonna stop me. When I got back out there, I realized I really wasn't ready to be back out there. And I didn't wanna be back out there. So I had to accept that really my whole mindset of my whole life of just take it, take it, take it, go, 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 was no longer my mindset. And I feel like kind of convincing yourself to change your own opinion and feelings about things without being like, oh, I'm a failure, I'm giving up, I'm losing something. That's the hard, that was the hardest thing for me to accept that, okay, maybe this lifestyle that I've thought and fought for was the only thing in the world. I fought for it for so long. And now here I am and I, I don't want to be on the road right now. I want to be home. So sometimes you can be your own worst enemy and accepting that like, oh my gosh, it made me so much happier, you know? And I really, I stopped traveling for a couple of years until she was old enough to get back out there with me. And I found the balance. And still, even now I have to accept unconditionally that I can't take everything that comes down the pike because, oh, she has her dance recital and I'm not going to miss that, you know? Nope. Oh, it's her cousin's communion and I'm not going to pull her out of that, you know? So that has been a hard thing for me, but it is just part of life. And, you know, sometimes the voice in your head, it's not right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that voice in our head, I think, is the thing that trips us up so yeah. often and it just doesn't have to be that way, but we just can't shut her up. <laughs> right, right. And you know, you spend your whole life working towards something and then everything changed for me the moment that I had my daughter. And I was like, oh, I don't want to lead this life anymore. But I do. I do want to lead this life. This is the life I worked for. But I don't want to come home at three o'clock in the morning. And I don't want to fly here and turn around and come back. It's too much. Like, it's too much right now. So accepting that for me, was a hard thing to do, but I'm much happier for it now. And I found the balance. Most Good. Of the <laughs> most of the time is key. <laughs> the N in flaunt is navigate the negative. 
And I'm a big proponent of the idea that nothing is positive or negative. Everything just is. It's that voice in our head that tells us it's positive that makes it positive or the voice that tells us it's negative that makes it negative. Yeah. And it seems like you've done a phenomenal job of that reframe. This is what I worked for and this is how I'm going to make it work now because this is my priority. Do you have any tools or tricks that you can share with listeners who might be in that state that you're in and they're struggling to accept something and they just don't know how, how to reconcile all of that? I think the reconciliation is your mental health, truly. And when you get to the other side of it and you live the life that maybe your former self would say was compromised, it's not compromised. This is the life as you are meant to lead right now. And for me, once I did that, I was so much happier. I valued the time that I had spent with my daughter even more. And I valued my work even more because when I was in that place where I was just trying to cram everything into the jar that used to be my life, that it wasn't fitting anymore, I felt that everything was falling short. My time with my daughter was falling short. My time with my husband and my family was falling short. And my performances were. I would show up to a gig with like breast milk or baby vomit on my costume. And I would just be like, oh my God, I'm not even, he, I'm not in this headspace. I'm not my best Angie Pontani right now on stage. So it was just kind of accepting that and getting to the other side of that and, and realizing how much better off I was going to be when that happened. And it did. And it felt really good to give myself that space. You know, you change, your life changes, situations change, circumstance change, and you just can't become that old curmudgeon that won't change with it because you're not doing anybody any favors. Yeah. And it's so important what you said, that you're showing up, but you're not Angie Pontani. You're regretting it or you're resenting it. And that's not good for the people watching the show. That's not good for you. And then I'm sure you're not coming home being this amazing mom and wife because you're like, oh, I have all this time taken away. Oh, totally. Just coming home so like in a bad mood, not happy with my performance, not happy that I had to unpack my show bag and put everything away and then vacuum up all the feathers and the baby's crying and I slept two hours. Like, you know, so it's just finding a lot, just be easy on yourself, you know, allow yourself to, to try different things and find what works for you. You know, it's your life. Be nicest to you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then the last T of flaunt is T for trust in your truth. Who is Angie inside, underneath the costumes, underneath everything? Who is Angie? What is her truth? I think my truth is just, um, you know, I, I want to have meaningful, loving relationships in my life. I want to find all the adventure that I can and share it with those people, you know, and I just, I just, I just want to squeeze all the juice out of the tomato. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> That's really just what I want to do. I, I love sharing what I've learned from burlesque with other people and from my life and show business and just kind of, making the world a bit of a happier place is really what I like to do. I like to share the things that I create. I love that. You want to flaunt. You want to flaunt yeah, all. I do. I flaunt all day. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. So what is coming up next? What can people look forward to in the future? COVID notwithstanding and the fact that we have no idea <laughs> what's yeah, coming yeah. up. 
ultimately one day I will be back in Las Vegas. So that'll be really exciting. But um, I started a new project during this whole thing called burlesquegalaxy.com. And it's this multi-platform website that you are going to love because ultimately what it is, it's an extreme resource about all things burlesque for everyone from the most seasoned performer to an absolute newbie. You can go there, you can search a directory of performers, you can search directories of shows and festivals, you can search resources, wigs, fishnets, costumes, everything. There's a news section that's going to have content on the deep history of burlesque, as well as articles and interviews with the stars. And there's a virtual theater that's going to show tons of different um, digital content that different producers and performers are making. And one of those is a show that we're self-producing, which is called The Big Shebang, which is basically like a sci-fi B-movie of uh, me and uh, Sir Richard Castle, who's the burlesque host, flying around in a spaceship and beaming up performers from all over the world to perform. So it's really everything burlesque and one little website, burlesquegalaxy.com. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. Nice. And you also have a podcast. Yes. And that was another thing that came out of this pandemic, a production company that I worked with in Australia several times, you know, they obviously got shut down to giant Panda King and they called me up and said, you know, we're looking for projects that we can do remotely. Uh, If we do a pop, can, will you do a burlesque podcast? And I said, absolutely. And so this has been really exciting. It's called the bump and grind with Angie Pontani. And I just really get the backstory on burlesque performers of today legends. I spoke with Kitten Natividad, you know, I've spoken with Dirty Martini, Murray Hill. So like people from all different genres and styles of burlesque telling their story, how they got there, what it means to them and and how they're coping with the world that we're in right now. That's kind of sat us all down for a moment. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay. Speaking of legends, I just interviewed Leslie Zemeckis about... Yeah, about her book, you know, on, on the burlesque legends. And so, yeah, you'll have to check that out because. Absolutely. It, yeah, it's so important to tell the stories, I think, of these performers from the past because, yeah, many of the women, I don't think, had a very big voice. They expressed themselves on stage and they became well known as their stage persona. But as humans, we don't really know who a lot of these women were. No, absolutely. And Leslie does amazing work in telling their stories. And, you know, I think that that's one of the benefits, you know, you talk about neo burlesque, obviously spun out of the burlesque movement and specifically the heyday of burlesque in the thirties, forties, and fifties, those women, most of them went to those jobs out of necessity. Right. But even with that, they were able to take the stage and command a salary and um, the popularity that was not often accessible to females at that time. So even with in that it was an act of rebellion and this kind of punk rock ideal. We, as this, you know, next generation, we have gotten so much from them and we are able to stand so much more securely in our rebellion and, and have such a voice. And it's amazing to, to hear their voices and have those voices be a part of this and record them, which is amazing. Leslie's films are behind the burly cue is so good. I love it. 
Oh, I do too. I absolutely love it. So speaking of stories, how did you get into burlesque? And I'm thinking a lot of listeners might, might be thinking, well, Angie, is that your name? And, and how did you do this? And why don't you have a, you know, floofy name? <laughs> I would have had a floofy name had I known that this would be my career. Um, I got into burlesque when I, I came to New York at 17 to go to NYU uh, for theater. And um, I dropped out very quickly. I was just entranced by the city and I was working at a cafe and one of the guys who worked there said you know you should come and audition for the show that I'm in and this was the mid 90s probably 94 95 and I went and auditioned and it was one of the first if not the first neo burlesque shows in New York it was called Dutch Wiseman's and my brain just exploded because growing up you know I grew up watching MGM Technicolor musicals and this kind of fantastical Busby Berkeley world and this show was so good it had the beautiful costumes and incredible choreography it was one of the best shows I've ever been in if not the best and I started in that and I just never looked back I was like I don't ever want to be in another form of theater that doesn't involve fake eyelashes and a sparkly costume and yeah. Like, this is it. And that was it. Yes, I want my boa. Yeah. So I, I just, I, after that show closed, I just kind of went out on my own. I started uh, the world famous Pontani Sisters, which was with my sister and adopted sister of mine. And we were just a trio that danced and we had tremendous success. And then I just went solo after that folded. So I, I just never looked back. And, you know, I've been very thankful to be in the right place at the right time in my burlesque journey and to always be ready for that opportunities when they come. So it's just, I, that, I, but I didn't think it was going to be my career. And if I did, I would have definitely come up with another name because now it's like everybody from high school, elementary school is like, Ange? <laughs> is that you? <laughs> you know, it's funny, but, not but, and, because my, my dancer name is Chakrates. And yeah. same thing, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a lawyer. I've got my security stuff. I've got my bar license. You know, I can be Lord Cheadle over there. I can be Chakrates over here. And then when my book came out, suddenly I was like, oh, that wall has to fall. <laughs> and it's hard when the wall falls. It's a little awkward. <laughs> it is. It is. And again, not because I'm ashamed of anything. Not no. because... I'm not naked. I'm not, I'm not doing, it's just that it's that perception. And sometimes getting over that hurdle is a little hard. Right. And also, you know, like you were talking about before, like showbiz and corporate world are so different. And, uh, you know, people have uh, certain ideas about both sides of it. And so then you just kind of have to address that a little bit. Like, they're like, oh, you're a show person. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Which is the <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, where else can listeners find out about you and learn more and get on this new burlesque galaxy site? The best place to, I mean, you can go to my site, which is angiepontani.com, but my Instagram is very active and that's just at angiepontani. And there I am, uh, you know, everything that I do, every new recipe that I post will be up there. Every Burlesque Galaxy, when that premieres um, on September 25th, that will be up there, all that information. So that's really where I keep very, very current, so... Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today, for sharing your story, for inspiring everybody. I just couldn't enjoy it. I've enjoyed myself thoroughly and I just 
I'm so appreciative. Well, if thank you so much for having me, Laura. And thank you for your beautiful book that you put out into the world, making the world a better place and your podcast. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's really, really great. Great, great, great work. <laughs> well, good. Thank you so much. Listeners, have an amazing sparkly week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Overcome the need to please and find the uninhibited joy of being exactly who you are right now. Come find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more and get your free gift at lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com. 